I didn't find her relatable. Like, I'm not friends with cops. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. For this episode, we watched Mayor of Easttown and asked Samita Mukhopadhyay, is it a crime to date multiple people? So Layla, are you binging or cringing this week? I am cringing. I have been cringing all through the Olympics at the men's EPE team from the U.S., And I don't know if you saw these headlines, but the uh, U.S. fencing in general got a lot of headlines because they, despite the fact that one of the alternate team members had credible accusations of sexual assault from teammates, decided to bring him anyway to the Olympics. And so they, they put some parameters in place where he couldn't stay at the Olympic Village and he had to book his own flight and not fly with the team. But they still left this guy on the team. What I'm cringing at is the fact that Later, during the Olympics, his male teammates wore pink masks in a photo op where he was wearing a black mask and didn't tell him. So there was an image in the news where they were wearing pink masks and explained that it was a protest in solidarity with the women on the team. And that got more attention, I feel, than the original complaint. Uh, And one of their teammates, Jacqueline Dubrovich, posted on Instagram that a photo op does not address the issue at hand, which is that the women we're not heard and we're not safe and called the whole thing performative activism. Now, I should say that other team members, including Ibtihaj Muhammad, who's one of my favorite Olympians, uh, did praise them for their solidarity and called on people to believe women. But it's just frustrating in general that in order to be seen or heard, women's issues have to go through the lens of men. Oh, that is so annoying. It's like, Women are literally creating demands and birthing a new, more feminist world. And men put a mask on and that's the headline. Exactly. And I have to say, full disclosure, as someone who fenced all through junior high, high school, and even uh, recreationally in college, the sport gets enough of a bad rap. It's embarrassing (laughs) enough to be a fencer without this kind of misogynistic embarrassment. Uh, Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Thanks for the cringe. How about you? Are you cringing or binging? I'm binging this week. I am hardcore binging Schmigadoon, even though I cannot fully binge the season because they're doing it old school. I'm just releasing one episode per week. Um, But what I'm appreciating about this show is, first of all, it is delightful. It is light and it allows you to earnestly enjoy musicals by making the entire gag of the show be about how annoying musicals are. It tricks me. And I have to say, I enjoyed being tricked into suspending my own cynicism. And I would like to have that recreated in more television shows in the future. For those who have not heard about this, it stars Keegan-Michael Key and Cecily Strong, who are both so talented and they have great chemistry together in this show. And it's about a modern couple who's monogamous and having some questionable issues going on in their relationship. And they accidentally fall into a magical musical land. So it's been great for me. I need some light TV in my life and Cecily Strong's memoir, This Will All Be Over Soon, that's based in part on her time in the pandemic is actually next on my list to read. So I am binging in multimedia this week. I love it. Bonus with the book rack. (laughs) And uh, what a terrible transition, a magical musical land to whatever we're going into now, because this week we are talking about the much requested show, HBO's Mayor of Easttown. 
And before we get any further, I have to warn you that there are many spoilers. That's right. And so many of you asked us to cover this show because a lot of people are watching it. So we decided to focus on episode four, Poor Sisyphus, because in addition to the mysteries surrounding the crime that Mare is trying to solve, this episode contains a storyline in which two men ask Mare out to dinner for the same night. Yes. And so the two men are very different. There is Richard, a handsome college professor who's just rolled into town, played by Guy Pierce, and Detective Colin Zabel, played by Evan Peters, who's a good Catholic hometown boy. So Richard is age appropriate. Colin is younger. And there is at the same time that when Mayor meets both of these men, a lot going on in the rest of her personal and professional life. So to get into this episode and its themes, we found the perfect person. We brought in our friend who happens to be a writer, editor, who has thought a lot about these issues, Samita Mukhopadhyay. Samita is the former executive editor at Teen Vogue, my former colleague at Feministing, and she's written about feminism, dating, and pop culture extensively. And one of the things I was excited to talk to her about is this concept that she's written about in her book, Outdated, Why Dating is Ruining Your Love Life. And the concept is about a status that kind of falls between being single and being in a relationship, which she calls a third way. And this is really, I think, something common that people who date today experience where maybe they're not fully single, they're seeing someone, but they're not fully in that relationship stage. And she kind of coined that term for it, which I appreciated. Yeah, highly relatable. And just to be clear, we're talking in this episode about dating around because this show implies that the two men are sort of pining for Mare and that we're assuming that they're seeking a monogamous relationship with her. We don't get into the whole rich world of consensual polyamory, although it's been requested and it's high on our list to consider for next season. That's right. So we hope you enjoy. And just a quick note, this is the last full episode of season one, and we've so enjoyed bringing you this season of our passion project. Please do send us your season two ideas, cringewatcherspod at gmail.com. And without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Samita. Welcome, Samita. We are so, so grateful that you took the time to speak with us in the middle of your hot girl summer. <laughs> Been a bit, little bit lukewarm, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tepid. Yeah, tepid girl summer. <laughs> well, we know you're a busy woman. You are a writer, editor, speaker. You're someone we love and look up to so much. And you have already done some discussion of Mayor of Easttown, but we kind of want to take it to a new place. And I'm just going to get right into it because there's so much to discuss with this show. Samita, we just want to kick it off with you. Why do you think they included multiple love interests for Mare on this show? And like, what does her interest in both of them say about her as her character? What I like about it is that it speaks to just that she's complex, right? And I think that often, you know, women are portrayed as like having a single love interest. And if there's anything outside of that, they're, they're quite demonized for it. You know, she is complex. She's clearly motivated by a lot of different things as, 
kind of unravels throughout the season. And I think they both speak to different sides of herself, you know, and I think it's worth noting, like Evan Peters character is younger than her, right? Quite a bit, substantially younger than her. And, you know, she's also coping with the loss of her son. And she, you know, is kind of navigating like all of these questions around the role that he played in her life and, and kind of her relationship to younger men. And, you know, and then she has this kind of older man who is kind of the assumed dreamboat, right? And I think that there's this assumption that like you get to this time in your life where you're no longer attractive to men, you know? And I love that it kind of plays against that and is like, no, she's actually quite desirable even when she's like frumpy, which like also not believable. Like <laughs> it, it can't right. frumpy is like, I'm like, how does she go like from like frumpy in one scene to like puts on a black dress and it looks like she's at the Oscars. <laughs> like, right. Like her frumpy. Like. <laughs> that little glanced over makeover yeah. moment where she's like, oh, I'm just going to pop on some lipstick <laughs> is what I wish happened when I popped on some lipstick. Yeah. But I think that's another question that I have, which is, is she the every woman? Is she the stand-in that we're supposed to relate to? Because the first thing we see her do is bust up her ankle. As you say, she's frumpy. She's swilling beer all the time. She's showing us her perfect Philly accent. We're supposed to, I think, get that she's imperfect and gruff and maybe uh, not traditionally feminine. But do you think that's a pointed move on the part of the, the showmakers so that we put ourselves in her vessel? Because, like, that's what they have to do to, like, make us believe that a woman is frumpy. They're like, she's swigging beer. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, how many more? Like, just (laughs) listing that out. I'm like, God, like, it's like, it's kind of like the Elizabeth. What was her name? Um, 30 Rock. Like, she's like, I'm always eating sandwiches. Like, sandwiches. Like, cheese. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so tragic. I didn't find her relatable. Like, I'm not friends with cops, you know? Like, I don't, like, it's like, you know, I first was like, this is going to be copaganda. But then as the it unravels, you're like, she is a mess. Like, she is totally motivated by, like, she's super unprofessional. She's, like, has no boundaries. She's totally motivated by, like, all kinds of base instincts, jealousy, anger, like, she, anxiety, like, all these things that she can't control. And you're like, wow, cops need therapy, first of all. And, like... <laughs> Like, right. Like, so I felt more relatable to like other characters, like her daughter, you know, or even her mom, or like, I really loved the intergenerational kind of piece of it. Like that was really relatable to me, but yeah, her character, it's kind of funny. Like she is a little bit of a construction, but use like ends up being like this really useful kind of foil of like the imperfect woman who's, you know, kind of like the Don Draper type, right? Like men get so much space and latitude to have characters like that. And you very rarely get characters like that as women because we hate them when they're like that. We hate them. And, and I think that's what was interesting is that, that not only was she like, this sloppy kind of, you know, or supposedly sloppy (laughs) kind of, you know, cop that's like swigging beer and breaks her ankle because she's like so clumsy and whatever, but like she's desired. And, and she, and she kind of is like given her full humanity, even in that character. And that is super interesting. She's a lipstick slob. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's the term I did not know I needed in my life. And I feel like I'm going to see that everywhere. Yeah, no, I like I it better like, than lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or lipstick lesbian for that matter. Well, I totally agree with you, Samita. This is maybe not like the carefree, slutty hot girl that we expect to see juggling multiple love interests. But I appreciate that those love interests are like layered into this absolutely absurd 
character that works somehow. But I want to ask you about something that I feel like we've talked about at some point in our lives socially. Um, but I want to ask it on the podcast because basically both of these love interests, they ask Mare out for the same day, Saturday, you know, Richard's like, it's my birthday. Colin's like, I want to take you to my friend's restaurant on opening night. So, you know, I feel like I've joked with you about this, but my personal opinion, if you date cis het men, they can smell it on you when someone else is interested in you. Like when it rains, it pours. And I don't know if it's like you're that boost of confidence that you're getting or whatever, but I just have this hypothesis about this. I'm curious, you are a professional. Is this a thing? And did it happen to Mare? I never thought about it like that. That is because I love the reveal, you know, spoiler, but I love the way that they reveal that because you really think that she's going to go out with Richard and then she ends up with Colin. And then of course she like derails the dinner, the date completely and like is a hot mess. Like it's great. And yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but it definitely does happen. And I do think that, you know, it is part of the whole like, you know, people want what they can't have. I think like, you know, part of why Richard is so interested in her, which is, both like gross and compelling is that like, she's really unattainable to him, right? Like he's probably somebody who, I mean, like he's a successful college professor, like, come on. (laughs) This man has not had a hard time getting laid, unfortunately. (laughs) So, you know, and now he meets this woman and, you know, especially he's probably like, I'm trying to get to know the locals, like something kind of interesting about that. And, you know, but it also like exposes men because you're just like, why? Like, what is it about her that like you're finding so compelling? Not that she's not like attractive, but you know, like it's just an interesting, you know, dynamic of like, he of course is interested in this woman that's like mysterious and brooding and challenging and like feeds all of those kind of really regressive notions about like what men ultimately find attractive, which, you know, it's it's unfortunate when that like continues to get played into, but there is a truth to it, right? And and I think that there's that. But then I also like similarly, Colin, he's like, oh, this is a tough cookie. You know, like he's like, God, he's just like peg me. Like he's such a mess. <laughs> All three of them are, are messy. None of these people have their lives together. You're reminding me, I had forgotten until just now that the whole thing starts out with the anniversary of her famous high school basketball shot, oh, yeah. which is such a funny thing to be known for. But one of the things Lori and I uh, were asking each other when picking this topic was, do we think Mare would identify as a feminist? I don't know if she would, probably not using those terms, but she definitely lives in this world where she's playing against stereotypes. Like she's a tomboy. She's in this boys club of being a police detective. And she's also surrounded, you know, you mentioned the, the three generations in her household. So she has this like beautiful young daughter who's queer. She has this older, uh, sexy mother played by Jean Smart. And they both have really interesting sexuality floating around that where it comes out Jean Smart after character, after she was widowed, was sleeping with a married man. And the daughter leaves her, you know, her first love girlfriend for this hot college DJ. Do you think that whatever is going on with Mare is generational? This idea of juggling multiple partners? generational to like is it specific to her generation that it could even be a thing are the young people beyond that concept right right and like the older generation had to cheat they had to do this kind of in the dark yeah I mean I think on some level I don't know that Mayor would identify as feminist but I do think she's kind of like you know she's like the woman from SVU right like she's like working on these cases and I read a really good article about just like the different ways that they 
really spotlighted the ways that women modify their behavior because of male anger, right? Like she knew that like when she found Aaron's body and she had to go tell her father or brother or whoever she was going to tell that that whole story was crazy, but that she, you know, needed to bring someone with her because she knew that he could potentially be volatile and potentially hit her. And, and so I think that there's, you know, whether she would identify as feminist or not, it's like, she's clearly someone who's like very aware of gender dynamics and the way that they're kind of playing out around her. She's not necessarily empowered. Like it doesn't ever feel like she's even like, even the like dating multiple people feels accidental. Like it doesn't feel like she's something that, that like they pursued her. She didn't like make this decision and be like, I'm going to be this empowered woman who like has multiple partners. Like it feels very accidental. So that's like, I think of people like that as like really living on the fringes of feminism that are kind of, you know, proof of concept of a deeper thing that like we may be able to articulate through a language or a theory, but that's somebody who's kind of living it in real life without the language of it and without some of the kind of celebration and empowerment around it as well. Mm. I think that's so well said. And I mean, speaking of feminism and like Mare's identity, I mean, this is like a white show. Like this is a very white show. And just anecdotally, it has managed to attract a fan base from people of color. Like I think people of color that I know enjoyed this show as well as white people, which I think is great. And um, I'm always interested when that happens. And actually you've written, I was going back and to your um, book outdated and also just some of your other writings you've written about like how freedom of sexual expression can be dominated by white women and like white women can get away with things that women of color just can't because we would be demonized for those same behaviors so I'm just curious if you have thoughts at all about like what mayor's whiteness allows her to get away with in this show even as she is depicted as being like this mess she's you know, no one's kind of giving her the easy way out. Like she does get criticized and challenged by the world around her, but I'm curious if there are still things that you feel like her whiteness allows her to do as well within that. So absolutely. Even her behavior in the job, like, <laughs> like a person of color can't act like that at work. Like that's just like not. And I remember thinking that watching it, like I was like, wow, great character, but are you kidding? Like, <laughs> right. like the black cop did this, like it's game over. If the black cop was anything, but like fully, you know, at attention at all times, it's like they would be put on administrative leave. So yeah, I do think that is interesting. I also found her friendship. She has a black friend, I'm blanking on her name and the relationship she has with that family. And, you know, I mean, that character doesn't really get a ton of space to breathe, but already what you know of her is she takes care of her addict brother. She has several children she's taking care of. There's all of this kind of, you know, the the contrast between those two characters and like you know she's portrayed as this extremely loving generous person which is like again like desexualizing black women <laughs> that's this you know like that like you know what is kind of her life what is her story and I don't know you know I've thought about this a lot because it's like does every show have to have like a lot of people of color in central roles to satisfy you know all of these different kind of like plot lines and you know to like kind of feel like it's representative and I think that why people of all races are drawn to the show is like, it feels deeply authentic to a really specific experience, right? Like it feels deeply authentic to like a lower middle-class kind of Philly neighborhood. Are they in Philadelphia or? 
Yeah, suburb. Exactly. Yeah, like outside of Philadelphia. So it, it feels very relatable. And I think that it's, you know, refreshing to see white people shown for what they are, right? Like to shown for like their messiness and their brokenness and their kind of, you know, even like living the, again, like the intergenerational living or, you know, having like just a lot of those kind of different struggles, like divorce, you know, two families, like all of that, like, I think really showing that and it's truth, like, that is more the white experience than the one that's kind of like lifted up on a pedestal. Right. And so I think that that authenticity is shining through. And I mean, I don't know. And also like, it's just really well-written. So like, I think, I think people got who have good taste are going to like the show (laughs) either way, but it's something I've thought about a lot because I did feel like I was like, yeah, this is like, everyone's talking about it. It's like, it's another like show, like predominantly white people, like centering white feelings, like all of that. But there is something very interesting about, almost like a reversed gaze where like we often see the pain and destruction on people of color as plot lines and to kind of like have us be the voyeur of like white brokenness is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would agree that the characters feel very real and authentic, but um, I lived in central Pennsylvania for a chunk of my teen years and I was talking about this show with my mom and she was like, I just don't believe that this black family would be friends with this white cop family. And right. that, that, that there would be all this kumbaya. Harmony. She didn't use that term, but I, I do think there is some convenient like black best friend trope going on and some slot again, like the cop boss, the, the hot college DJ love interest. They're slotting in people of color without really delving into their experience. But I I'm totally with you on the authenticity. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, (laughs) because there's another show. Have you two watched Good Girls? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's another one with like Retta. I'm blanking on her character's name. That's like a black bestie with two white women and another part of the class, you know, and and, Hendrix and the Mad Men, like her post Mad Men glory. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, Layla, that actually is a really good point. That character serves literally no purpose except to like be a Black best friend, which is not great. And to have a junkie brother. Yeah. So, but I mean, that said, to to your point, look, the kind of comedy Black best friend that maybe, I haven't seen that show, but you might cast Retta in, that you don't get, you know, sassy comebacks from the Black woman. There isn't sort of lifting up the Black woman just for comedic effects. Yeah. So I don't want to throw this show completely under the bus. I more want to throw Philly under the bus and yeah. in general for not being a very safe place to not be white. Both of you, why do you think they had this uh, dueling date moment and then instantly killed off one of the complex points of interest in the show? I thought it was really well done, like in that, like it was just so it's really unexpected because they're really building up this relationship and this tension. And I think it was mainly to show that like Mare is driven by her obsession with her work. And no matter like whether it's because she like can't make it to the date or she can't, you know, she like kind of sabotages the relationship with Richard. But like she ends up putting this you know, indirectly, like, puts this child at, 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 like, I mean, he's an adult, actually, not a child, but, like, puts him in harm's way, but, and she's right, right, like, she ends up finding the person, and it's, like, partially because she's so good at her job, and I think that, yeah, on some level, like, she, she wasn't necessarily that interested in him. She's driven by solving cases. That's like ultimately what drives her. So, and and I think it was, it was like in the darkest sense, I guess, if, like we're here, so let's just go there. But it is like women's ambitions killing all their other options, right? I do wish they gave us a little more like sexual release on these two before they killed him off. I'm just going to yeah. be real about that. 
there could have been more sex generally on this show. When yeah. we were deciding to do this show, I was like, this is borderline qualifying as, as sex. There's very yeah. little in That's the whole so series. <laughs> well, Samita, I have one more question for you before we move to our cringe fire. Um, you've been making <laughs> fire points and I want to get your take on this because you've written about this kind of in-between space, what you refer to as like the third space. So you're not single, you're not like a long-term couple, monogamous, hardcore relationship, but maybe you're in this third space where many, if not most relationships may be happening at any given time, depending on your demographic. Um, so I'm curious if the show does a good job of depicting this in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the situation ship, right? Like the, <laughs> that. what did Jada call it at the table? Entanglement. Entanglement. <laughs> yes. like, I feel like yeah. entanglement is the third space, right? Like it's, oh, like, it's <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do. I think that's like one of the things the show does really well is show that, you know, especially I think when you are a certain age, when you are, you know, taking care, you have children, you have, you know, your mom, you're taking care of, like, you don't have time, like that kind of like wide eyed, like, we're going to fall in love and it's going to change everything. Like, I just think that like, isn't real. And so, yeah, like, I do think that a lot of women have people that are out there <laughs> that they're interacting with, you know, and the, it, you know, you almost have to catch yourself as a viewer to not start rooting for that, like to not be like, and then she's going to end up with this person and just be like, no, actually, like she's not because like one of them was killed and the other is moving away. And there is no happy ending in the traditional sense, but there is a real reflection of what it looks like to be a modern woman in your 40s or 50s that it's you, you may not kind of have that, but that doesn't mean you don't have these kind of satisfying interactions with people, she tells herself. Such a good point, because I was totally rooting for Richard and I felt myself doing that. And I wonder, you know, in part, is that because that's the relationship my brain can most easily wrap my head around? I want sort of that pat generational finish. Yeah. Richard would be canceled in real life, first of all. Like there's just, it is a total <laughs> fiction. You're like, oh, small town author, professor who also is dashingly handsome. And like, like his entire purpose, that's kind of, I actually loved it. Like someone had a tweet about this or like his entire purpose in the show. What's the actor's name? I'm sorry, what is it again? It's, Guy Pierce. Yeah, Guy Pierce, like just to be hot, which is awesome. Cause like that happens to women all the time. <laughs> he just like, he literally was like, he showed up, he was hot. He wanted to get dinner with her. And then he was like, and now I'm moving away with my yeah. Like, it's literally like, you're like, okay, cool. And, and like, I mean, he is the ultimate, he's like the opposite of the manic pixie dream girl. He's like the manic professor. <laughs> Come on. Like that man does not exist. Are you kidding? Like I've been out here on Tinder in upstate New York. Like, does this man exist? <laughs> man does not exist. That's amazing. When, when do we get the Samita of Upstate? Yeah. Uh, super limited series. Yeah. I would totally stream that. My other my other confession is the whole I didn't realize that was Guy Pierce until the little making of video popped on after the last episode. The whole time I was thinking, that guy looks kind of like Guy Pierce. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad they had him move away. He's the kind of guy I don't know that he stands up to long time scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> HIV remains one of the greatest challenges of our time. 
In Uganda, over 1.5 million people living with HIV have to deal with a number of obstacles, ranging from stigma to lack of access to healthcare. Enter Reach a Hand Uganda, an organization by young people for young people that is seeking to change this narrative. That's right. And I've been so honored to be on the board of this organization. I am floored daily by their work. They lead campaigns against HIV stigma and for reproductive health, hold concerts and festivals with positive messages and celebrity guests, provide youth-friendly community services, and drive policy reform across Uganda, especially around hot-button issues like comprehensive sexuality education. To join their work and find ways to support this endeavor, visit bit.ly slash 3BQOM6L or check out their site at www.reachahand.org. You have made it to the cringe fire round. Hey, okay. look at that transition. <laughs> so our first question is, is there another show that you're binging right now? I just finished uh, the morning show. I was late to it, but I just finished it last night. My mom and I went, sat through a three hour marathon. We couldn't stop. We were just like, okay, we have to know how this ends. What's okay. something that you find super cringy at the moment? Something super cringy in this moment is Twitter. Yeah. Solid answer. <laughs> is there an aspect of sex or sexuality that you would like to either see portrayed or better portrayed in media? I think single life after their your 40s or like women in their late 30s to early 40s. I guess like, you know, the sex in the city kind of type thing that I feel like there could be a better job being portrayed. 100%. And we hope to do a future episode on this as well. Last cringe fire question. Do you have a favorite scene depicting sex or sexuality? And it could be from TV, film, or literature. Oh, I mean, Bridgerton. <laughs> Just as a body of work. As a body of work. I was as like, a specific body. I uh, like, thank you, Shonda, for giving us pornography in a pandemic. Like, <laughs> that's totally acceptable to watch and talk about in public. That was crazy. <laughs> and I also love that they had an intimacy coach on set to help them with those scenes so that they were totally, you know, comfortable. And I mean, I'm sure they were still awkward. Both of the actors have said they were still awkward, but they were so believable. You were like, these people are having sex in real life. They are. They fucking. Yeah. And I didn't realize until we did an episode on high maintenance that intimacy coordinators came about because of like feminist organizing and me too. So that's really dope. I personally, I mean, Reggae is so hot. I would watch him like light a match, but I was like very distracted by the withdrawal scenes and yeah. like the confusion that she didn't know. I was like, she, she doesn't understand the sex she's having. Like, this is not okay. Well, it's, yeah. it's like the reverse of contraceptive sabotage or whatever. <laughs> it's a kind of coercion, whatever he's doing in the character. Yeah, totally. Oh no. Uh, yeah, it does not like I'm talking about straight up eroticism. That yeah. show on no level does it stand up to like feminist scrutiny. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no, we, there is a reason that was one of the first shows we dove into when we yeah. started this podcast. <laughs> Watching that broke my brain because I was like, I want to be enjoying this more than I am. It's like dividing. Yeah. The different yeah, he is like me. the quintessential fuckboy. Like he's yeah. like Shakespearean fuckboy. Like, are you kidding? Like, well, whoever Drake was at that time, that's what he's listening to. Like, 
crazy. Like it's, it's so, I mean, everything about him, he's just like, don't like me. Like, <laughs> don't like me. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Who was the Drake of that time? I must know. Like, I'm going to tweet at whores of your Twitter account and ask them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a great, great account. I'm have to look that up. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Highly recommend. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our interview. Samita, as always, you have been a brilliant blessing. Yay. Thank you. Great. Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much to our guest, Samita Mukupadhyay. You can find her on Twitter at the Samita. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. D.L. Dallas Engram created our theme song. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. And our ad music is by Siddhartha Courses. That's right. And by the time this episode airs, D.L. will have just had a birthday on August 9th. So happy birthday, D.L. We really love our theme song. You can support the show by visiting patreon.com backslash cringe watchers subscribe today and get amazing perks like a shout out on this very show or right now it's your last chance to get our special limited edition personally designed cringe watchers mug if you become a squad level member by the end of the month it is yours you can also show your love without spending a dime by rating and reviewing the show it really does help us out please do it and follow us on Instagram. We're there now too. Very fun content. Thank you for cringe watching with us and see you very soon for season two. 